0: August 10th, 2010, it's a Watt from Pedro show. From Pedro show, actually not from Pedro. Uh, this edition from Oslo, Norway, and also it's my great honor and privilege uh, to have on board with us or with me, where we're us now, Mister Derek C of via uh, uh, Chicago, Dark Calway now, and uh, I get to work with him in Stooges. And he's uh, an incredible uh asset and repository of uh music <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry music uh, knowing and uh and history much more than me, and so hoping to broaden uh, a lot from Pedro uh, horizons with uh, mainly blasts from past right yeah yeah all yeah. all pre nineteen seventy one here well, this is something from uh 1957, we started to show off. This is a Thelonious Monk along with John Coltrane with uh, Blues for Tomorrow. That's what we started to show off with. And then we heard something from the Wipers, I think, 1978, uh, Telepathic Love. It was on an EP stuffed inside um, the Is This Real album, I think, without them knowing. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, part. Avenue or so, yeah. whatever that label was. Yeah, I think they uh, put out the second record with the album cover. Mister Sage didn't approve of. Hmm. Which oh, the Youth are, of America. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, parting of ways, of that or something. Right. But uh, we were talking in the boat the other day about wipers uh, driving from or to some place, and uh, so I don't know it. I thought I'd play that. It's good music. Um, held up really well. Yeah. Now, actually, you know the Sto- Stooges going way back.
1: Yeah. Uh, my uh, former stepfather drummed with Iggy in 82 and 83. And I got to see some shows. And then I'll never forget. this. It was a big life-changing moment. Before the show, Ig was playing James Brown music, his warm-up music and i asked my mom who is this and she told me it was james brown and you know i was a very precocious kid to begin with i was big into music from an early age thanks to mom and my uncle and various other people i you know they they gave me a bunch of 45s and records you know from their youth but i didn't have any but soul no records james. no no james brown okay. but i'll never forget it and I started, you know, I would I would spend summers with my grandmother in in Indiana, and she would take me to um, once a week to get a couple forty fives from this oldies record store. So I started buying, you know, Motown records and whatever James Brown records I could find. Oh, from that night, yeah, it was tough back then. There wasn't there wasn't from that night. You said I want to
0: check this. yeah, Yeah, now you were young. Very, yeah, I was seven, eight years old at, this at that time. Because yeah. I wanted to ask you how you got into music. How? Was it? I don't even remember how.
1: There's pictures of me when I was a toddler carrying Beatles 45s around the zoo and parks and places like that. I, it was just always around. My mom played plays guitar and is a songwriter and had lots of records that she shared with me, so... Just one of those things that was that was kind of predetermined for me. Do you me. remember
0: the first record
1: that you got? I remember the first record that I physically bought, and that was the Peter Gabriel album with Games Without Frontiers on it in 1980. I'd been given a lot of records before that, but that was the first one I remember taking money that somebody gave me and buying it myself.
0: Yeah, because 45, there still is 45s. Oh, yeah. But not... By that time, it was just like punk ones. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, Mersh stuff. There were still oh, so Mersh 45s in? Yeah, yeah, Early 80s? Yeah. Because they were big when I was young, but it seemed by the that time, it seemed, uh, yeah, the little uh, records were putting those out, and the big people were, uh, everything gravitated more towards albums because of the FM radio. Right, right. The dance records were big, 12 inches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so you got the Peter Gabriel. Uh, did you want to start playing?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was also. Because you know, she played
0: guitar? That's yeah, how D Boone got into it. His yeah, mom played guitar.
1: Yeah, I was, you know, I'd learn a one finger chord, you know, every six months and just bash on the guitar. Would well, you was, play
0: her guitar? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I was just always picking up her guitar and playing it. Until I eventually got an electric guitar of my own when I was probably nine years old, I think, somewhere around there. And you got an amp. Yeah. Or did you
0: just have electric guitar? Had the,
1: had the little, you know, the little Fender Squire amp, you know, the whole oh, thing. Wow. And yeah, that was that was a big thing for me. Now, why
0: did you, you were doing the one finger chords? Were you trying to uh, learn off records?
1: Well, I think the first thing I knew how to do was, and my mom has told me this later on, was that. My right hand was, I could play rhythms really well. You know, I, I didn't necessarily know how to change chords, but even at that, at that real early age, I could kind of strum along with records. So.
0: Oh, okay. So it's a rhythm thing.
1: Yeah. So you might have been able to move to drums. Yeah, I'm a terrible drummer, so. <laughs> no, no, but with a good right hand, I mean,
0: strumming. And
1: interestingly enough, I'm left-handed with everything else oh
0: Kay was that way she thought the good hand was supposed to be the one fingering
1: I think there's a good good concept she's left handed
0: yeah thought well this where the strong one should be right right and so she learned uh, bass on playing right handed even though she's left handed yeah I know with drummers it's that way too a lot of them play right handed no matter they're left or right yeah Uh, so another because the kids were set up that way right so sorry to cut you off and no, another still... in,
1: another interesting thing that happened around this time was there was that syndicated radio show called The Lost Lennon Tapes in the mid to late 80s where they played, you know, a lot of John Lennon demos and things like that which I would record off of the radio every week and one week they played him as a guest DJ uh, and I think it was KHJ in Los Angeles, yeah. and he played this record. AM radio. Yeah, he played this record called. Oh no, no, no! no. It wasn't KHJ. It was yeah. WNEW in New York. It okay. was that one. He
0: was guest DJ. KHJ ninety three KHJ. Right, right.
1: So he was playing Charlie some. Of his, <laughs> he was playing some of his favorite forty yeah. fives, and some of them I recognized. But then he played this record called "Watch Your Step" by Bobby Parker, and. I'd never heard that name before. You know, I thought I knew a lot about music back then, but and I, and I looked in all my books. You know, the Rolling Stone History of Rock and Roll. There was no mention of Bobby Parker. There was no internet back then. Yeah. So it was just this big mystery, and the record was so good. And I asked the guy at the oldies store that I went to. He had no idea what it was. It wasn't until many years later, when I first when I got my eBay account. In the late '90s, when I was able to score this record, so like to share that one. Well, first. it was
0: probably big with John
1: Lennon. Yeah, and it's it's interesting and how he's from the old rock and roll. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, well, they were big into R and B. You know, their their the covers on their early albums are are rock and roll and and soul records. Yeah, and some well, pretty it was probably big stuff. for his music. Yeah, yeah, very big.
0: You know, there was a big disconnect. I think. A lot of uh, probably with the '70s, just a lot of stuff got spaced. Oh, did you ever read this magazine, Goldmine? Oh yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I used to they get. Would, it it might have been in there. I,
1: I would look, and it, it wow. never it never popped up unless I. Those
0: people were into minutiae.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, all the English people were buying up all these records, and they just, they bought them all out of the out of the American stores at the
0: time. So told me it was Liverpool because sailors would bring them back
1: mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, and then a lot of stuff got released over there, like obscure records like Watch your step got it actually got an English release. We're gonna play that.
0: Yeah, okay. What's that like
1: It's uh kind of in the Ray, Ray Charles What I say vein, and then Lennon also mentioned how the riff, in oh, I did feel he talk fine. about
0: him when he played him. Yeah, he did okay. and he
1: said, you'll hear where we got the inspiration for the I feel Fine Riff in this record. Wow. So, Bobby Parker was a New Orleans cat who's still around and still playing from time to time. Of Kansas.
0: from Pedro Show. Uh, Derek here is going to tell you what we just played. We started with Watch Your Step by Bobby Parker.
1: Yeah, then after that, you heard um, The Wooden Nichols with Nobody But You. The Wooden Nichols were an L.A. studio group put together for this one record with Brenda Holloway on lead vocals, which Brenda Holloway was signed to Motown at the time. She was the first L.A. artist signed oh, to Motown. I was going to
0: ask if it was the L.A.
1: Yeah, yeah. Her and her sister... Would sing a lot of harmonies together, so that's her sister Patrice is on that record also, and that's just oh,
0: and the band put it together because he goes to L.A. He didn't tell the Funk Brothers.
1: Yeah, this was a few years before that. This was this was um, oh. Brenda. Do you know about that oh, when they yeah. moved? Like
0: nobody told. Right,
1: them. right, right, and everything really went to hell with Motown when they moved to L.A. Also,
0: but all those guys, yeah, that great band that was on all those records was right. just like
1: right. This Wooden Nichols track is almost punk rock. It's it's so intense. It's just just this raw, you know, just slamming track. So that's that's one of my favorites.
0: Who's in the Wooden Nichols? You know?
1: No, no, there's no session info. Um, when I just first, like those
0: Motel ones in Detroit, right? I right. I think Jamerson. Somebody told me the first time his name was on a record was the Marvin Gaye. Right.
1: Thing. Yeah, that's that's true. What's going on? Yeah, Marvin insisted on that. Yeah, and then after that, you heard "Give In" from the Webs. The Webs were a great New York group that released a, a handful of singles. Then you heard "The First Taste of Hurt" by Willie T. Willie T. was a New Orleans cat. Uh, started out in jazz and then started um, started into the the R and B scene when he was very young. And a little bit of trivia: I took my pseudonym in um, my Derek C. pseudonym. In inspiration from Willie T. Willie T.'s real name was Turbenton, so and he spelled it T E E, which I do the same with my last name. So because there, you, you know. only
0: used the first letter, of right? E T. Right, right. But yours is a little trippier.
1: Yeah, because my real last name is Cullum. No, but
0: the C is the letter.
1: Yeah, use the word. <laughs> right, right. Little sneakier, but fully, <laughs> yeah. fully inspired by yeah, Willie sure. T. There. And that's, that's one of his rarest sides. It came out on a, on a New Orleans local label. And these guys were funny because he was signed to Capitol at the time.
0: But he. Just moused. Yeah, he moused.
1: <laughs> Some of the copies say Willie Lee on the label. Oh. I, I think those are the ones that may have been nationally distributed. But um, the New Orleans ones say Willie Lee. The Massey
0: T. Hall thing, Charlie Parker's called Charlie Chan.
1: Really? Is it same, the same because kind of deal? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think because it, it came out on Mingus' label.
1: Huh. Yeah, yeah, that's a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mouse. <laughs> All right, and the last track you heard in that set was Heart Trouble from the Parliaments. And there were earlier Parliaments cuts than that in the late 50s that were doo-wop records. And then there was a gap where there was nothing. But Heart Trouble signified the beginning of George Clinton's R&B era, in Detroit, is both a musician, writer, and producer. Um, we're talking pre-funkadelic. There was the Parliaments that released a number of singles, including I Want to Testify. It was a pretty big crossover hit. George Clinton also worked with J.J. Barnes, and which I've got a J.J. Barnes track um, to play later that has some Clinton involvement. Then just inspired by the MC5 and Hendrix and Stooges, uh Funkadelic came along later black on. Murda. Yeah, yeah Black Murder. Another Detroit uh, rock and roll band.
0: Supposedly the 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 first all right. black right band. Right. Because Jimmy had some guys from England who
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting story in itself.
0: Yeah, and me finding out about uh uh Edwin Starr.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. And playing
0: behind him.
1: They played on some great Edwin Starr records, 25 Miles and Agent 00 Soul. Yeah. Really hard-hitting stuff. So this next set, these are all records that are um,
0: Detroit Soul records. Well, let's get into this thing about... Okay, so you hear this... uh, Bobby Parker song by John Lennon. Yeah. And you can't find it anywhere. So right. So you're like all searching out. Uh, because the Pete Gabriel don't sound too obscure. But did this experience with Mr. Lennon and his obscure thing, like, get you into this thing? Why not check out shit that ain't Marsh?
1: Yeah. Well, there there's quite a few years in between that. And, you know, also during that period, I got pretty big into punk rock yeah. and also hip hop. All throughout the 80s. You know, I was living in L.A. and listening to KXLU and KROQ.
0: What, you wanted to see where the punk people and hip uh, uh, rap got, where where their influences were? Yeah, I think that was part of it. I I was uh, intrigued by that. Yeah. You know, like, because punk was like, wow, they're they're whittling things down. Uh, But maybe some of this kind of sound actually existed before... And it, uh, and it's a, re- a rediscovery, not like they found them old records, but just the, this kind of sense of uh, getting back to... Because they had to. It hadn't been refined yet. They were reacting against a stadium rock. There was no stadium rock. Right, right. So they're making their own records. But there's such a similarity between... God, when I got that first jam album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it sounded like... Yeah, 60s music.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, and But they were young way.
0: guys. Yeah. So this intrigued me about that because I didn't get to really know about... I did know uh, there seemed to be a lot of knowledge about people at punk gigs. Uh, like these records, uh, Mr. Shaw put out uh, Nuggets and Pebbles. Yeah, and, yeah. And they were called Garage Bands. And like the punk bands were kind of Garage Bands, you know, because they were Econo. And... These people are putting out their own records, which I had no idea of uh, going to arena rock shows and only knowing major label. Right. And the same with the soul music. Maybe they weren't uh, garage band so much, but there was so much independent
1: label. Sure. And it was, I think, the thing that always drew me to that. And then also going back to what I was listening to in the 80s, I was also buying the Nuggets records and all oh, that stuff on me? Rhino and and everything. So it was just I think the. The rock- show was a bump. Yeah, he was Bop and he was But he also signed
0: some punk bands. He had some Stooges yeah, records. Yeah. And so I, I I knew there was some kind of mixture. Right. Uh, it was strange, uh, in a way because there was a weird thing about hippies and and yeah, you could say sixties was hippies, but definitely it wasn't like seventies arena rock music.
1: Yeah, it was all coming from more of the gut than than all the, the merch stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I remember D boom getting a, a jam single maybe around that time of that album, and it had, like, Midnight Hour on the other side or something live. Yeah, they would do Heat do you know Wave, t-
1: and... Yeah, yeah, they did a... They Heat did Wave, well, The Who did Heat right, Wave. Right, which, yeah, their version was a lot like The Who's version. But, yeah, Weller's another, you know, he's a, a massive soul fan also, so... Yeah, see? He's there was a weird a connection, huh? Yeah. Well, it, it go. It really it goes back to the whole mod movement in England. You know, oh. all, all of this stuff... Because the, the mods in 63, 64 were R&B fanatics, you know, popping and speed and dancing all night to these records.
0: There's this hoop poster that has Pete, and it says Maximum R&B. Right,
1: right. That was their stomping music. And that was a huge influence on the, on the British scene, which my theory behind it is why those, those bands were all so tight, because they were fully engrossed in the R&B music. And those cats played really tight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So what's with the next match?
1: We got some Detroit records. Um, The first one I'm going to play, it's not necessarily a rare record, but it's, I think, unjustly obscure. And it features some of Jamerson's finest bass playing. Um, Since I'm on the show of a fine bass player, I thought that uh, I have a few songs with with some excellent bass work. Um, James Jamerson, of course, a Motown session man that highly influential. This is uh, Martha in the Van- Vandellas cut from 66 called Show Me the Way.
0: Okay.
2: Oh, well.
1: so that set started off with Martha and the Vandellas with Show Me the Way. And next was Crooked Woman by Ed Henry. Then you heard Puppet on a String from Geno Washington. Then Love is Like a Ramblin' Rose. Yes, the same song that MC5 covered. Uh, that was by Ted Taylor. And after that you heard Love Can't You Hear Me from the Knight Brothers.
0: Ramblin' Rose, first uh, song, D Boone learned on the guitar.
1: And uh, we'll talk, talk a little... The MC5 with right? <laughs> We'll talk a little bit more about these records in the next hour.
0: Yeah. Although we'll probably have another batch.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's okay, right? Yeah. More more talk. When was that one? That Ramblin' Rose? Uh, 66 for that one. So that's before MC5. Yeah, yeah. Now, I wonder if they heard that. Oh, yeah. Because said these are Detroit singles. Yeah, Ted,
1: Ted Taylor is a Detroit guy. And um, the, I played the Geno Washington track because Geno Washington was a big influence on Rob Tyner and the MC5. Ah, big respect Rob Tyner. And this this was the first single that Geno Washington cut um, for correct tone records. He later redid Puppet on a String um, a few years later with um, Geno as a Coward on the other side, which is a great, great record. I strongly recommend seeking this that one out. This one is very tricky to find and it has a backing vocal group on the record called the Primettes that a few months later had their name changed to the Supremes. Yeah. But wow. you're not hearing Diana Ross in the in the lead. You're hearing uh you're here in Florence belting it out and sounding great.
0: So Yeah, it's the end of the first hour wide for Pedro's show, August tenth, two thousand ten, hang tight for hour two August tenth, two thousand ten, second hour, with well, a WAP from Pedro. Show here's more stuff from uh, Derek C's collection. Off the second
1: hour, okay. starting off the second hour, "Never Let Your Love Grow Cold" by the Vontastics, their Chicago group, uh, a little bit of a psychedelic soul sound on that one, and that was followed by the Twilight Zone by the Astors. Psychedelic? When was it? Sixty-seven, okay. right in the right in the That'd height right. of the psychedelic era. Uh, Von also covered "Day Tripper." Lots of lots of soul bands were covering Beatles and Stones songs during that period. Uh, Then you heard the Twilight Zone from the Astors. The Astors on were backed by. What's a
0: temp record? Solid Rock. When's that? Uh,
1: Oh, Solid Rock.
0: It's got Cloud Nine and Ball of. Oh yeah, sixty
1: nine for that one.
0: Uh, Does anybody give a damn about the Brothers Back in Vietnam? Yeah,
1: yeah, that was. um,
0: nor- no- Norman
1: Whitfield was the producer. That in
0: fact, went- when you open it up, it's a gatefold. Mm-hmm. He's in there. Yeah, yeah. you he ever was a big see part- that?
1: Yeah, he was a big part of that psychedelic soul sound. And with, he
0: wrote with- the "Ain't No," "Ain't No,"
1: "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." No,
0: it's on that record.
1: <laughs> he wrote a lot of songs, and no, a lot of times in the
0: do do "Ain't No," "Ain't No Sunshine." Sunshine when she is that got- on that record. I think really? so. What was what, what that web for? Let's see. Yeah. But it's funny. I remember opening up, and there's a picture of him. Yeah. You don't really. He's the producer.
1: Right. So the Astors were backed yeah. by Booker T and the MGS. Ah. Who were the house band at Stax? Yeah, that that's ain't a Stax record. Right. Uh, then after that, you heard the slow fizz from the Sapphires, and then you heard two in a row with some Eddie Bo involvement. Eddie Bowe, started out in New Orleans in the mid 50s cutting uh, rock and roll records and gradually started starting uh, incorporating some R&B into his sound and then by the mid 60s he was just this monster proto funk soul man Oh, yeah there you go it's been a while since i've listened to well, it's that been
0: record. A while each... yeah yeah and this cover i mean this mm-hmm. is too much and then you open it up yeah. but no you know what it hasn't it's maybe maybe a year because this is a bitching fucking record. Uh maybe it's got its song titles. No. Yeah. What's that about?
1: Yeah, I have that one at home, so no, but why no don't they no listen the song right
0: titles? Stop the war now. It's yeah. summer.
1: Yeah. Edwin Starr also did a great version of Stop the War Now.
0: Stop the War. Eddie Kendricks. Mm
1: hmm. Uh, yeah, tops. before before he, he went been, on his own.
0: Boogie. Keep on boogieing. Keep
1: something. on trucking. Keep yeah. on
0: trucking. With that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you heard two um, Eddie Bo numbers. The first one was the Rubber Band Part One. There have been a l-
0: was there a Spinners song Rubber
1: Band Man. Yeah, <laughs> a little later on. The Eddie Bo's had a had a yes, big Kevin resurgence, heesh. and uh, a lot of his music's been reissued. But the Rubber Band is only available on a forty-five, and a very hard to find one at that. So. That's a that's a choice nugget for you, uh, courtesy of the Wad from Pedro Show. <laughs> Thank you. And, and that set ended with uh, Chuck Carbo, as produced by Eddie Bowe with "Can I Be Your Squeeze," which is just a yeah, but,
0: but, but monster songs together. Well, it's
1: less less of a theme with that yeah. set. Um, other than the last two that are Eddie Bow
0: tracks, but.
1: Just kind of going a little more free form right yeah, that's now. All right, that's this, all
0: right. So you you know you're doing the one finger chord thing on the guitar. Uh huh. do you meet? Do you meet somebody in school you want to make a band with?
1: Yeah, that came a little later. I uh, when I was in middle school, the yeah. first band I put together, a friend of mine. They
0: didn't call it junior high. Am I that
1: old? They, cha- they ch- some when people did it call it junior it? high. Some call it middle school.
0: Well, it got changed in middle my sister teaches that now but yeah we didn't it wasn't called for us but that's california
1: and uh, this was this
0: was yeah do you have some california years
1: oh yeah yeah southern california yeah. el segundo
0: what what years uh
1: 82 to this 88? period yeah
0: yeah that early period when <laughs> you just picking up the guitar yeah okay so so do you want to start playing with other people
1: yeah, I met a friend in, uh, in junior high, eighth in grade. Eighth yeah. grade, I think, and we were both kind of the the class weirdos. Yeah, His name was I Paul Gra- Paul Grafton, and um, he didn't he didn't play an instrument, but I but said, he wants hey, to be yeah, All yeah. Right. And I said, have you ever thought about playing bass? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll play bass. So he he saved up over the summer and bought a bass, and I started showing him root notes. See, eighth
0: and, grade, what, you're fourteen.
1: Uh, th- I was a little younger, so th- twelve or thirteen. And then we, you know, we just played music together. And then our freshman year in high school, we no me. No, freshman year in high school, we met a guy named Tim, who ended up becoming our, you know, part the third member of the triumvirate. And we formed a band called iSharko that actually, after we graduated high school, recorded an album with Kramer. From Shimmy Disc fame, that was released by Bomp Records when we were about 19 years old. So, that's kind of a psychedelic so from space grade, rock record. You stayed
0: with the same guys. Yeah. From grade after high school.
1: Yeah, and then we got back together. So sporadically. This band,
0: and that's your first band.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And you guys are writing songs.
1: Yeah, you know the whole thing. Well, what was the first Hang
0: song on. you wrote?
1: I I can't I honestly can't
0: remember. I can tell you mine. Yeah. There's only wrote well, one as a teenager. Yeah. What was it? It was called Mr. Bass King Outer Space. <laughs> it was about the bass player doing some big solo and blowing the other guys off the stage. It was terrible. How much
1: later was, was Tony terrible. gets wasted in Pedro?
0: Uh with Punk. Yeah. That's so a punk. few years so, later. So I'd say seventy eight, seventy nine. Mm-hmm. That's reactionaries. Yeah. I think it's seventy eight. But uh, in '78, I'm 21. I'm okay. I'm gonna be 21. i mean, at the end of the year. So as a teenager, I only wrote one song. We never wrote songs. So I'm always interested in people who fucking wrote songs young, because I never got to do it.
1: We covered a lot of songs too. You know, we had we'd cover. You know, we cover Men and *Firehose* songs. We cover *Sonic Youth*, *Butthole Surfers*, 13th Floor Elevators*, *Funkadelic*. You know, just all of this weird stuff. All this weird, great stuff, you know, and people would say, "You know, we're in a small town in Indiana, outside of Chicago," and people would say, "What is all this music you're playing?" You know, and we'd make little mixtapes for them, or I—I I was actually the mixtape guy. Okay. So I would make all these mixtapes tapes with all these guys
0: recording. Of, of you us record and all Oh, blast
1: you mean with, of the
0: songs right. that we'd end up covering? Right, uh, but okay. we would
1: make tapes too and distribute them around to our friends.
0: How'd you record?
1: Um. I scored. No, we were we were lower.
0: Just a stereo we were, machine turned yeah, on, right?
1: Yeah, I was. I was also into tape machines, so I would find reel to reel tape machines at, at garage sales and things, and we into those. Yeah, we'd hook up a couple mics and sing through a, whatever amp was available, and just bash, Twitch. yeah, yeah. <laughs> bash out all this kind of trashy stuff.
0: Do you have any of that?
1: I do. Yeah, yeah, somewhere <laughs> in the archives. I'd record the gigs that way, too. Oh, wow. You were doing gigs then? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we okay. started doing gigs when we were 14. What were those like? Um, there was a place that was a roller rink that we used to play at that on weekends would have bands. And it would turn into a weird scene because there'd be all of these lame Nazi people there and, you know, the Nazi skinhead faction and all of this. But... You know, for us, it was great because, for the most part, those guys didn't mess with us. Oh. But we were, you know, we were meeting girls and doing all of this stuff, so it seemed like a, a pretty good life, and that's why we. At least I never stopped. I don't think those guys are playing a whole lot anymore. But
3: oh, they were really? great.
1: They were great. It's too bad that they aren't really uh, creative I musicians. Shark- Sharko. Sharko. Yeah. <laughs> I shark- very very silly get that name. name. I'm sure that it it that it, there was some kind of bad behavior involved with it. You know, teenage guys hanging out doing God knows what.
0: And hey, let's call it Sharko. Yeah. <laughs> like you were sharks, right? Right? Yeah,
1: probably. <laughs> and it, it stuck. You know, when when we recorded that first album, we had a lot yeah. of people tell us, "Oh, change your name. That name is terrible." But we never did.
0: You didn't pick it from a list of names. It was no. just the first one. Yeah. Like, yep, that's well,
1: it. You know, we were big into bands like the butthole surfers and stuff yeah. like that. So we were we were thinking outside you were of the box.
0: Coming up with that name was yeah. real early? Yeah.
1: yeah. Then oh, we would do strange we'd do strange things like make flyers where we would call ourselves Iron Sharko Mama. <laughs> but emphasize the I and the Sharko. You know, just just to be just to be. Oh, weird. is
0: that where I said why I said I shark? Yeah, <laughs> we got a band called the Bright Orange Band. That's not bad. Didn't write one song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Was it one of those bands where you just get together with dudes and talk about? Being no, we a played. Band?
0: We copied Creedence and Rolling Stone, Alice Cooper, Cream, Blue The Cult. All real bad. Yeah, of course. Well, our big thing—we didn't write one fucking song. That that Mister Bass King Outer Space—I never showed it to anybody. Yeah. Well, we we'd would never do things, fucking play that song.
1: Especially early on, we would do things like we'd Can't say, be "Hey, let's learn. I want to be your dog." It's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's learn it." We would only learn the riff. I would learn the words, but we wouldn't learn the change. We would just play the riff for like five minutes and I'd sing over it.
0: Oh, that's how we did it first with yeah. Smoke on the Water. We would just play that fucking riff over and over for hours. Yeah. American Woman. Don't, 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 don't. I mean, on and on and on when we were like that age, 14. Yeah. The kids the kids oh, we didn't have a though. name then. A Bright Orange Band came when we were 16. That was some other guy too. He thought of like he, what you call it a name. I mean, the arena rock had is so beaten down. We just never thought you could do gigs or anything. You couldn't play arenas. We didn't know about clubs. There was keggers, but kegger guys could copy records good. They yeah. could play Black Dog. They could play Great White Buffalo. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, you guys, you know, of course, really paved the way for all the young bands like mine to be able to do yeah, that Yeah, well, this is when
0: we're your age. I'm telling you, yeah. you're playing keggers in the backyard, and it was hard to copy some of that shit. Yeah. And some guys were better at it, obviously, than us, and our equipment was really bad. We didn't know about Fenders and Gibsons and yeah, when I, Boxes. We didn't know about any of that shit. When we I thought was it was all studio effects.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when I was 15, I, I worked this summer painting a fence and bought a Les Paul with that money. And you know that was a it was three hundred dollars. I'll never forget it. No case, so I would walk around with this late seventies Les Paul Standard, no case, with just the worst PV amp. But I'd read that Mud Honey, Steve Turner from Mudhoney, Honey, was using two fuzz boxes. So I got a hold of two fuzz boxes, and I
0: was completely happy with that sound. Wow. That was, that was that was just fine We didn't me. even know about them. We didn't know what the fuck they were doing. So our guitars, people always sound like bells. Yeah. And then when punk came, he didn't use them again. Right, right. He used them on some leads on albums, but he never used them at gigs. What, what do you got in this next batch? What's the next song?
1: Uh, our Love is in the Pocket from J.J. J. Barnes. This is a George Clinton production oh. and uh, co-writing number. So one of, one of my favorite records. Okay, this is...
4: Let's love beyond compare.
2: Ha uh-huh.
1: Right, so you just heard uh, My Baby Likes to Boogaloo by Don Gardner, one of the rawest, most lo-fi records from the 60s. Sounds like, sounds like there's one mic on everything yeah. and Don Gardner's screaming on top of all of it. Just a fucking great record. Before that, you heard um, some LA soul. But what,
0: what was he about? Did he make other stuff?
1: He made some other stuff, but none of it was like that. This was a, a one-off kind of thing. All his other he he cut some other really good records, but more deep soul. Whereas Baby Likes to Boogie is just an all-out whaler. Yeah. Um, before that, you heard some LA soul from the Isonics.
0: Did he, did he Do different stuff on different labels? Yeah. Or is this the only one for this label?
1: Um, I. Th- Think it's the only one for this label. There might be one other one, though. But lots of other labels. What was
0: the other side like? Um, pretty forgettable. I haven't listened to it
1: in in years since I first got the record. So this it's definitely one of those one shots. Um, this is actually a pretty well known record with the soul scene. You know, you'll hear it a lot when uh, when
0: dudes DJ out dudes and, and female DJs. So this is what happened. I'm sorry, with some of these records you're you're at a thing. you're hearing dudes play records. Mm-hmm. Wow, let to just find that out.
1: yeah, okay. and a lot of it's okay. just from you know digging and taking chances. Um, then before that you heard the Isonics from Los Angeles with sugar and before that was Sam D's with Lonely for you Baby. My copy of that record looks like it was um, dragged behind a truck a lot. but it's it's just was played so you much. Get it? Um, I got that one off of eBay. It's There's probably it's some dude who played it. Alone. Yeah, it's one of those records that when it's really clean can easily sell for Did over ever a thousand bucks. You get records that,
0: are, are, that can't be played?
1: Forty fives almost always can be played. Like like this one. You, you never d-
0: had one in the sun. I got a Rocky uh, Erickson yeah. Bermuda one that I left with. The, what it was was the curtain was left open. The yeah. sun came through and it made it like a fucking. Waffle. Yeah, yeah,
1: I've I've had that happen before, and that's that's a real bummer. with With this stuff, if any of that ever happened, I'd be a, I'd be a wreck. But
0: did you ever try to iron them straight? Iron doesn't work. Yeah, I know. I tried it like el- rock. Yeah out.
1: some some people talk about using two pieces of glass and putting the record in between and putting it on low heat in the oven or out in the sun. You can't do that with. With most 45s, because they're made with styrene and not vinyl. Um, I did it once, and the record turned into a shrinky dink. So I said never again. <laughs> but the Sam D's record, I settled for a, a really low quality copy of it, just because I wanted to have it and I didn't want to pay a thousand bucks for it. But wow. it still sounds good.
0: A thousand bucks.
1: Yeah, there's records that there's records that go for five figures it's it's yeah it's 45 wild. yeah not many sell for that much but there's there's lots of them that are in the over a thousand dollar range it's it's wild the
0: quality good for that much money
1: yeah but a lot of crazy people like me will settle for copies that are that are pretty rough just to have the record
0: are there people out there who find hard ones to find and then press them up
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's real big, especially in England. and That's been going on since you know the guitars. Randy
0: Bachman. Somebody told me the third or fourth penguin was the real one.
1: The white penguin. Yeah, yeah.
0: He had bought a few, just put together really? things, and yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Same kind of thing. There's Does that happen. Yeah, it's usually pretty easy to spot a counterfeit, though, because the way the re- if if you've been collecting records for a while, you can kind of tell. By when they were pressed, with the with the style of pressing and everything. See, this is getting into real geeky stuff here. <laughs> I'm curious. Some yeah. fucking Dallas. Oh yeah. I mean, when you're talking a really expensive record, it's scary. You want to make sure that it's the the real thing that you're dropping that kind of dinero on. Um, before that, you heard the vibrations with "Cause You're Mine."
0: Because you know about these pebbles. I heard that some of those songs. There's no tapes. They were mastered off practically everything
1: well greg shaw didn't have the rights to do that stuff so that was all taken off of his 45s and if somebody came to him and said hey we want some you know you put our record out he'd say okay well i'll send you some money it usually wasn't very much greg shaw great taste horrible business sense and really screwed a lot of people
0: over the way um but you know what Maybe it got people into some of that music it did. that would not otherwise. It did. That's the good thing about it,
1: because it, it certainly hipped me to a lot of stuff.
0: Because, like, right, when the, a lot of those bands died and that scene died, it just... Mm-hmm. I guess these DJ guys you hear play at gigs keep it living yeah. by playing the records. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and definitely through my blog, I try to keep the stuff alive. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. we ain't talked about that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. so I, I do a, a 45 of the day blog... Um, Derek'sDaily45.blogspot.com. It's been going for close to four years now. Where
0: so there's 12, 1,300 of? Them?
1: Yeah, they're not all. I, I can only keep them up for about two months because oh. because of bandwidth and also honestly, I you know having so much stuff up there for download, I'm kind of afraid that somebody's going to come what about, after me.
0: No, but what about just having the spiel?
1: Oh, the spiel stays up. The spiel stays yeah, up. Yeah, that stays up. See,
0: because that's what I'm saying. The interest, you're letting people know. Mm-hmm. If nobody's talking about it, yeah, you might not have the thing, but then they might go on to search it because it's something you wrote about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I have, you know, it's it's kind of discreet on the site, but it says if there's anything that you want to hear from the past, just, just let me know and I'll send it to you.
0: Well, I'm kind of talking about, like, you found out. A lot of people, they don't really... What are resources? Um, a lot of people
1: put stuff up on YouTube. You know, you'll see a picture of the record spinning and yeah. with with the audio or photos. So yeah. that's a good resource. A lot of sellers on eBay will post sound samples, what which I found of a gold lot of. Goldmine's pretty much done. You're
0: done, right? Yeah,
1: sadly. But I used to. Why did that I loved happen? It. Internet. Yeah, internet to go killed to that. it. Yeah. Record shows are another good place. You know, a lot of the dealers will have a, a portable record player out there so you can check stuff out. Uh, same thing with record stores. The, they'll have stuff and have a turntable set there's setup. no
0: problem with independent record stores? There's lots
5: of those? Oh,
1: yeah, they're everywhere. And I do, especially when we're out on tour, I um, make lists of favorite places to visit and take pictures of the shop, and I'll do a write-up for that city, so...
0: Is it better over here or in the U.S.?
1: It's incredible over here. You know, there's
0: in the U.S. is kind of troubled.
1: Well, luckily in my area, there's lots of good stores uh-huh. in the in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, major cities still have good independent stores. I hear about you know some stuff in remote places, but of course, the internet and big box evil conglomerates like Best Buy have killed a lot of stores. Because yeah. I. I worked in a record store in the 90s and just watched Best Buy just destroy us. So, it's a, a real sad, sad deal. So, back to that last set. Before Sam D's, you heard the Vibrations with Cuz You're Mine. Yeah. And the set started out with J.J. Barnes. What about
0: vibrations?
1: Vibrations were a long-running soul group from, uh, from Chicago and that this was one of the the last this is not one of the last but towards the end of their career and it's a, a real hard driving kind of proto funk record and bernard reed who is a pretty well respected bass player was a permanent how member of the vibrations
0: and how long did you live in chicago
1: uh well i lived i never lived in the city of chicago i lived in uh, Valparaiso, Indiana, which is about oh, 40, 45 than, minutes yeah. away. yeah, um, Quite a number of years. From 1989 to 2004. Quite a while. 15, F- years. Yeah, 15 years. Then back to California.
0: Yeah. And what we start the second hour with? We- Starting the
1: second hour with what's probably my favorite 45 ever made. You know, I don't like to... Pick favorites, but this this one could very well be the favorite. This is "I'm a Good Woman" from Barbara Lynn. Barbara Lynn Ozen was a left-handed female guitarist, singer-songwriter who started making records when she was nineteen, and just an absolute trailblazer yeah. for women in music. Beaumont, Texas, and um, worked a lot in in uh, Louisiana with the producer yeah, that's Huey that's Eastern Mo. Texas, that's yeah. Right by the
0: board.
1: yeah. So this is so. It's a phenomenal song, and her guitar playing just drives this track, and it's just a monster. Uh, 1967.
0: Wow. Damn. Okay. After I-Shark, or no, Sharko. Yeah. Musically? You still play music, Oh yeah, right? Those guys yeah. stop in Indiana. Yeah. go back to Cali. Mm -hmm. Well, I was
1: in another band in in Chicago shortly before I moved to California called Resplendent that made an album called I Am Free that was a Pitchfork Magazine favorite and a record I'm actually very proud of. Um, It was a band that started out as just myself. of Chicago? Yeah, it's that hipster webzine kind of thing. And it was myself and uh, a fellow named Michael Lenzi... Who was in the fire show and also number one cup, and we did some different stuff. He really pushed me to play guitar differently, and I was yeah. Doing, what happened doing to Sharko? charco just kind of fizzled out. Okay. And you know that that was that. So You're I was looking also... looking for
0: new people.
1: Not so no. much because I was doing a lot of uh, well, I was playing in Resplendent, and then I was no, also no. But how'd
0: you get into Resplendent?
1: I'd met him a few years earlier and actually went on tour with those guys kind of helping out and doing sound and you know that kind of thing and then when when the fire show fizzled out he started doing this resplendent project and got me involved and very very proud of that album which I think he has up available for a free download if you look you know do a google search for resplendent I am free it's a a good deal then moved to california and met up with some with uh, a good friend and musical collaborator named paul kimball and we have a band called careless hearts and i'm also that's kind of a roots rock band with an r&b and psychedelic edge and i also play in a band and uh, in a band we made an album yeah we've made a couple albums and we also yeah, work also worked with uh, James Williamson of Stooges. there's a live thing. Yeah, we did a live album, which was James' first gig in 35 years. And I'm also in a band with my lady friend called The Bang, and we do a recreation of uh, the 60s girl group sound. And funnily enough, I'm a Good Woman is one of the songs that we do. So that's the one you're going to be hearing next.
0: Oh, because I was going to say, we're not into the girl groups.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, there's yeah, there's some comes, coming, okay. yeah. Okay,
6: <laughs> you leave your home for days
7: and days. And I know, I said I
6: know, you got another woman somewhere around. good woman, I'm a good woman, such a good woman, so don't treat me like dirt, I don't go nowhere, you don't take me out,
7: if I put on a nice
4: Now I know what I'm gonna do
1: So you just heard um, two in a row there. That was started out with "I'm a Good Woman" from Barbara Lynn, which I was saying was probably when push comes to shove, my favorite forty-five ever. Did
0: you guys cover that in the yeah.
1: band? Yeah, yeah, we do. And um, once again, Barbara Lynn, pioneering singer-songwriter and female guitarist. Yeah. Just you know, really one of the first of her type. And after that, you heard some more. What dig-
0: was this lady, Minnie.
1: Oh, Memphis, Memphis Mini? Memphis Mini. Yeah, yeah, what going way her. back. Yeah, yeah. There was a long gap. She was 20s. No, There wasn't a whole lot in between. Yeah, yeah, Memphis Mini, win the Levy I played. Bikes. I played
0: some of her yeah, stuff. Yeah, I couldn't incredible. believe it. And what's the other
1: one? Uh, hide and Seek yeah. from Lillian Dupree with one of my favorite intros out of out of any of these 45s. Where it's was just, she
0: from?
1: Uh, Detroit. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so... We're at
0: the end of the second hour of the Watford Pedro Show, August 10th, 2010, here in Oslo, Norway. And there's a bike race going on. It's not a certain kind of rally. (laughs) (laughs) So don't be confused. Hang tight for hour three, please. August 10th, 2010, it's the third hour of the Watford Pedro Show. For Pedro show, yeah, hey,
1: yeah. So uh, in that set, we started out with Lonnie Lester. Lonnie Lester was a guy who's actually still active in Indianapolis, Indiana. When he recorded this single and two others, he was in Gary, Indiana. North. Yeah, right by where I used to live. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Willie Waldman, well, the trump player for Banyan is up that way. Really? Yeah. He uh, beekeeper.
1: Yeah, most uh, most most people went to Chicago to record, you know, yeah. with VJ and those labels. But Lonnie Lester recorded in Gary and released these records on his own. And really, yeah, yeah.
0: Was it's, that common? It was. It was very common. Well, we were common talking now. in the boat about because of that fucking storm. Mm-hmm. People in Finland, it was a bad scene. Yeah, not because of Finland, but a freak storm came up, and wow. But we're you know. Mr. Mayfield was hit by a live yeah. in The last nine years of his life, he's paralyzed. But early in his life, right after Impressions, I think he st- maybe even in Impressions, he started putting out his own records on Curtom.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he actually and he had, put out
0: other people.
1: He did. He had two labels before that as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He during the Impressions era, even
0: during the Impressions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was quite the entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, cause some of these bands were, were happening on his label, too.
1: Yeah, the Five Stair Steps, and um, they were they were a the big one.
0: Oh, shit. I can't, Staples, can't remember. You know, uh, Staple yeah, Singers? Yeah, you some Staple Singers. You know, um, I had that album, Curtis Live. Yeah, yeah, it's a great
1: album. And man,
0: that was a bitchin' record. It's got one weird song. We've only just begun. But. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I admit it, I like his version. I, well, I like that song.
0: Yeah, you know. <laughs> a... <laughs> He's sincere Merce about not... it. Yeah. He's sincere about it, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, people get readies on it. Mighty, mighty Spade and Whitey. If there's hell below, we're all he, re- he released a great Staples. Album. Yeah. Staples singers Baby Huey and the Babysitters, which was Chaka Khan. It's. Really? Yeah. That's she was in the band at that time. I
1: wasn't aware of that. Yeah, baby, that Baby Huey album that Kurtum released is just absolutely incredible. I mean,
0: but this cat, be I'm getting ahead of myself because I wanted you to talk about all these things, but I wanted to talk about because you talk. It's the same. This cat was putting out his own records. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to ask you if all this stuff you've been playing. How much stuff is on the same label it's almost a different label for every one of these
1: yeah practi- yeah practically different labels for everything you know there are yeah, so there were a few well there were a lot of things up there were inter- there were a lot of independent producers um, like the like the guys that owned the the Revelot label which JJ Barnes and the parliament's recorded for there'd be you know a couple producers that owned a label like that there'd be Offshoots of labels like OK, which was part of Epic, that released a lot of soul records. Um, Eddie Bo owned his own labels. Um, yeah, a lot of artists and a lot of producers would scrape together money and, and put these records out. Sometimes what they about, get national the distribution?
0: distribution. Yeah, I was going to ask about Sometimes that. Sometimes they get because picked up. What I, what I heard about with maybe some a garage band, maybe not the soul thing, it had to stay regional. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't go.
1: Well, the 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 soul records would were real popular on jukeboxes, so there you could have a record that didn't chart, but it would be a big hit in jukeboxes. In the bars. Yeah, yeah. So there there was a much stronger distribution aspect for a lot of these records. Even so, them
0: being a little late. Yeah,
1: yeah. They'd end up in in odd places, because I've I found some I've. I found some rare records in in just the weirdest places where you'd never expect it. So, they got around, and maybe the
0: big radio was getting the big labels.
1: Yeah, I think, I th- I think that the distributors were more likely to take independent releases at this time because the biz hadn't really taken over. So nobody knew what the next hit was going to be. Ah. You know, this I figured, well we could have another Motown on our hands. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So after Lonnie Lester, you heard Jimmy Robbins with I Can't Please You. Jimmy Robbins, I believe, owned the label that released that record. And that became a relatively small, but still a national hit. And after that, you heard Edwin Starr with You're My Mellow, which was his last record before he went on to Motown. And, and after,
0: Everybody you know his big song, it was called War. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Edwin Starr had a real stellar career with just one great single after another. <laughs> "You're My Mellow" is one of the tougher ones to find, which is why I picked that one for this First show. Before. yeah, yeah, 1968. And after that, you heard Belita Woods with "Grounded." We got another George? Oh Clinton. yeah,
0: you had a theory. It might be Black Merida playing behind it.
1: Yeah, on, on "You're My Mellow," it's probably it's not Merida,
0: by yeah. the way, because they spell it the same for the fucking. Turds and shit, over over. You know, it's a Latin. I think Merid in Spanish, Merda. No, Merda in Spanish, Merid in French, Merda in Portuguese. But they actually were called Black Murder, and then just want to spell it a little different.
1: Yeah, not so very, the word is murder, Murder. <laughs> not very commercially viable yeah, there. I know. <laughs>
0: But uh, I heard it was because, yeah, KKK killings in Detroit. Yeah. It wasn't just a southern thing. Right, right. Which I think some people. Well, you, Indiana, you should know that uh, yeah, they're they every... had more congressmen in the, that were Klan. Yeah,
1: that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I'm so happy to not, not be in that state anymore.
0: <laughs> they got him out. There was some scandal. I think they killed one of their secretaries. But I'm talking about in the 20s and stuff. I think they're, they're statues- still around. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. They're still around. But I, I think Bradford Marcellus is in the music department at IU. And
1: stuff. Oh, really? Well, so that's, that's a step in the right direction. So yeah, after Edwin after Starr, you heard Belita Woods with Grounded. Belita Woods, Yeah. Uh, that's an early track from her. That's 67. She's been part of the touring Parliament Funkadelic lineup for many years. And just a real powerful voice. Yeah. And that set concluded with another wailer from Irene and the Scots. I'm stuck on my baby. It's a Chicago soul track from 66. And uh what
0: about Sam Cooke?
1: Sam Cooke was is acknowledged as being the kind of the founder of the soul sound yeah. and taking gospel and fusing it with Well, the R&B. then what
0: about um That Spot said he got a ticket. He lived, on, he lived on the same block as Ray Charles. He lived on the same block as Spot. And Spot told me he got a ticket for Spot. Ray Charles
1: did, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, Because he reworked some of his stuff. They say that was maybe some of the first soul.
1: Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. You listen to a record like What I Say from yeah, 59, right. and man, that's soul music to me.
0: But Sam Cooke too. Yeah, yeah. Sam That's Cooke, when they start calling it that.
1: Yeah, Sam, and then Sam Cooke was one of the first to cross over, also.
0: Yeah. To great the white
1: audiences. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful music. I Think
0: he got shot at a motel or something.
1: Yeah, shot by the motel owner. Real tragic story.
0: A great singer. Yeah, yeah. One of and, the best. Uh, so before that, they called it R and B.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which that name still sticks today.
0: Yeah. Do they do they still say soul?
1: Well, you hear neo soul a lot, and then uh, cats cats like Raphael Sadiq that are that are really doing a a '60s soul sound. You'll so they're hear bringing soul. it back. But that yeah. means
0: soul died. What killed soul?
1: Um. Well, what did kill soul? I yeah. think that. Curious. My theory on it is the same thing that killed. The great rock and roll of the '60s. I think business took it took the music, took the music over. Less people were allowed to make chances, and it just became more and more commercial. And also, by the end of the '60s, politically, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, killed. So that this era of this uplifting era, where there was social liberation for so many people, you know, it, it seemed like it was, you know, it was over. Of course. I wasn't alive then, so I'm just going off of no, you know no. what I've learned. These but records
0: all before you're alive. The
1: records kinda tell the story.
0: Now what about some of the singing style though? What about a band like um, Hall of Notes? I don't even know. well, the interesting thing about those guys. Daryl Hall doesn't yeah. have kind of a soul voice. Yeah, Daryl
1: Hall had a record uh, in Philadelphia in the late '60s, it's quite valuable, you know, an interracial band. Is that right? Yeah.
0: I mean, his singing reminds me of soul singing. Yeah,
1: and they cut, you know, they cut some covers like Backfield and Motion and stuff like that, but really slickified it. Yeah, and yeah. and took out the the edges.
0: Okay, what about a song like Kung Fu Fighting? Would you call that so? I wouldn't. <laughs> I think that's kind of a. Because you know what most people would say. My guess is if I asked about this, they'd say, oh, disco killed soul. But they're, they're, yeah, I think that that's... I'm not saying i say It's
1: pretty that. accurate. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. Cause, you know, it seemed f- like
0: disco still had some good singers, but it got, uh, the music got...
1: The songwriting... It, for dancing? Yeah, the songwriting element kind of went away in the disco years. But really, the the trends in music changed in the early 70s you yeah. hear you hear a lot more of the sweet soul sound, where the harmony groups, which is beautiful stuff, but it, it didn't quite have the edge that the 60s music did. And then the edgier stuff tended to be funk, you know, where the beats on the one instead of the four on the floor soul beat. So, to, you know, what take a combination.
0: When I was in junior high school, what was his name? Joe Tex.
1: Joe Tex. Yeah. Yeah, he what was one. What do you call that... that? Well, Joe Tex had a long, long There was long a song career.
0: called, I Got You.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was I, a I mean, that's
0: in the middle 70s.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was 72 for I Gotcha." Was that a 72? Yeah. Okay, early yeah. 70s. So he, you know, yeah, he I started out. Yeah, I was
0: in out, junior high school then.
1: He started out in the 50s with oh, shit, raw R&B records, then, then soul in the 60s, and then kind of went funk and disco that, in the that, 70s.
0: Yeah, but that, like, that's a, It's almost got them changes, bass
1: Yeah, 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 that's, that's a cool song.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I think there's been a resurgence in the last few years, and I hope I certainly hope to see more of a resurgence.
0: And the good, the uh, Marvin Gaye, he's killed in the early '80s. Yeah, his father. I was working in the neighborhood. He was killed. in. Yeah, that was. Crenshaw worked for an old lawyer named Mister. But he hadn't really been doing good records.
1: Yeah, I mean, that brings up another interesting point. I've been focusing on a lot of obscure and rare stuff on the show, but the hits through the era were phenomenal. And, you know, the Motown hits, the Stax hits, Atlantic records, it's some of the, to me, it's music that, music doesn't get any better than those records. You think of Otis Redding and Aretha and you know the Martha and the Vandellas temptations it's just a I was well it was
0: pretty rowdy music yeah
1: <laughs> very <laughs> it's
0: pretty intense <laughs> yeah great stuff so shall we play a few more yeah 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 i'm just curious about this stuff yeah uh, the, this thing about little labels it's it's kind of kind of punk rock yeah really. i know i know yeah. i see some interesting parallels uh, what do you got? What are we going to hear?
1: Uh, we're going to hear one from the Three Degrees. Are you satisfied? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, Derek, what are we hear? All right. You just
1: heard Blowing Up My Mind by The Exciters. And before that, you heard Lou Courtney with Hey Joyce. That song is, in, is especially interesting because that was one of the songs that was very influential on hip-hop because there's two drum breaks. And in the early days of hip-hop dancing, the B-boys would stand with their arms folded yeah. and wait for the drum break in the song. And when the drum break came on, they'd go out and do their kind of early break dancing. And so any 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 song with a drum break was big with those guys. And Hey Joyce has two. And that break's been, those breaks have been sampled a lot oh, and yeah. used in a lot of hip-hop songs. And before that, you heard um, The Epitome of Sound with You Don't Love Me. And this record was a big mystery and for many, many years. It's a song that was it has been played on the soul scene for years and years since the, since the early 70s, and nobody knew about the band. I posted the, the, the record up on my blog, and within about a month, I heard from the guy that was the singer who, wow. who wrote to me, which was just one of the most touching things. I've had this happen a few times, but with this one, it was the coolest because... There was no information on the band. Everybody thought it was. Where were they from? They're from New York. Everybody thought it was a a a white band. It was a white band with a black singer. So they were village people. They were, yeah. Well,
4: (laughs) (laughs) no, there's an Indian. Yeah, (laughs) right.
1: (laughs) So mystery solved on the epitome of sound, and um, he sent me a picture of the band even. That, what
0: they're still around?
1: No, they're oh. not around anymore. But this was their promo oh, you shot. You mean in
0: the old days? They, yeah. there wasn't even a picture.
1: Right. Right. Wow. It was a big mystery. So that was one of the, the real proud moments I what had. What was the label? Sandbag Records.
0: Sandbag. Yeah.
1: <laughs> another another one-off. So did he
0: tell you the story?
1: He did, and I'm trying to get an interview out of him. Just a re- a really nice guy named Gene Thomas, and he's become a web friend. And one of these days, I'll I'll do yeah, do an interview. What's story? With him.
0: He, is that the only record they made?
1: I believe it's the only record he ever made. But he still sings. He sings in his church, and that that to me is a, that's really makes me really happy when I get those kind of messages. Like you know, I'm still singing. You know, I may not be making records, but I still sing. You know, that's that's very touching yeah, to yeah. hear that.
0: What year was that record?
1: Sixty eight. And before that, we heard Luther Ingram with with If It's All the Same to You. Um, This was the first record that Luther Ingram made. He later went on to Stax in Memphis in the early 70s and some smoother sounds, but that's a real rough-edged record. Yeah, smooth. (laughs) And we started off with The Three Degrees, who also went real smooth in the 70s, and they were even on Sanford and Son once. That's a a real... uh, Real stomper from them called "Are You Satisfied?" So I got another one lined up here for uh, as we were talking about Joe Tex.
0: Yeah, this
1: is. A, I just
0: remember that song, you know, and it okay. It was early seventies, but the, it sure wasn't a disco song. Jesus, this is
1: one from '63 called "Don't Play."
0: And, and is Joe?
3: Yeah,
1: Joe Tex. Oh, cool. Listen, let me tell you, pretty baby Do you know
6: what you're getting into? If you are gonna be
4: my little girl I won't have no stuff out of you But mama don't play Oh, I said I don't play You know I laugh at some jokes Told by some funny folks But listen, baby, I don't play tell you how much I'm against playing And baby, please hear what I say I quit school in my very first grade Cause they had recess every day You know I don't play Oh, I said I don't play You know I laugh at some jokes Told by some funny folks But listen, baby, I don't play Doggone much I told my daddy Not to buy me no toys
2: Now woman, I don't play
4: You can tell about that I don't play Well, you know I laugh at some jokes Told by some funny folks But listen baby I don't play
5: Off your mind, relax And float downstream It is not dying It is not dying Lay down all thoughts surrender to the Lord. It is shining. It is shining. Yet you may see
1: so it was tricky picking picking these songs for this show because there's so many records that i love that i would like to feature but this was no uh,
0: we are gonna do another one we've got more gigs coming up. all right <laughs> don't worry this is very interesting thank you so much well Derek.
1: thanks for having me it's been my pleasure so this last set we started out with joe techs don't play then you heard the bob with i gotta face the world yes the same bob that uh recorded mr lee in the late 50s this is a complete 360 and a real hard edge soul track from them. Then you heard My Heart is in Danger from Alder Ray. Then another New Orleans cut from Betty Harris with the meters backing her up with There's a Break in the Road. And you heard Barbara Mason with You Better Stop It. And closing it out is a meditative, beautiful version of Tomorrow Never Knows by Junior Parker.
0: Well, that version is... Yeah, song...
1: <laughs> right. His version is it's a cover. It's it's interesting because well, it's it's I guess interesting with George
0: Harrison, right?
1: Uh that was Lennon.
0: This Tomorrow is Lennon. Never
1: knows? Yeah, Junior Parker. Oh, uh, all
0: too much is George. Yeah, okay.
1: yeah. And Junior Parker sounds like a very wise old man on this record. And months later, he died. Of,
0: oh, yeah. Do you know I did this song mixed with glass and you with Steve Shelley? Called Lucky Sperms. Oh, I have that, inch. yeah, I have that record yeah. that I bought way I back I said, then. I like these words, and let me put it over this music. Yeah. And I did like eight basses, and that's feel the, the wrong words from another, you know, from Glass Onion.
1: Yeah, that's a cool record. Still still
0: got that. <laughs> He's playing with the Noi guy now, Steve Shelley. Really? Not Dinger, he passed away. The guitarist. Yeah. Look, I want to thank you so much, and you're going to be on again, because I want to hear more and more of these records, and... Uh, people search this stuff out this is one of the reasons why punk movement happened in my time was because what these cats were doing in the 60s
1: yeah there's a world of great music out there from so yeah. many different places
0: yeah. big respect thanks for having uh, your stuff aboard on my little boat here my pleasure man okay You're a beautiful person there thank you it's uh, August 10th 2010 for Pedro show keep your powder dry <laughs> Yeah.